everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome back to another episode of the By Word Show. Super glad you're here. Super excited for today's episode. We've got Chantel Nelson with us today, and she's just amazing. I love everything that she does. I've learned a lot from her just as far as breaking out of cycles and the way she helps women really be able to show up to their life. So this is going to be a good episode. Can't wait to dive into this. Before we get started, Chantel, would you just introduce yourself? You have a really great podcast voice, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> like one of those voices that you're just like, you come in strong and fierce and you just kind of captivate people's attention with your voice. So yeah, my name is Chantel Nelson. I live in the armpit of California, also known as Redding, California. And I have been married for, oh no, I'm pregnant now. I forget. Almost six years. <laughs> And I have two boys. I have a four-year-old. I have a two-year-old and I'm pregnant with my girl and I'm 20 weeks along. So I live with my family here. It's a hundred degrees already here in Redding. We, it's the arm, the hot armpit of California is where I live. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, um, I have my, my master's in counseling psychology. And so I've always just had a heart to know why we do what we do. And I remember when I first picked psychology, I was just so curious about our motivations behind why we do things, why I'm a certain way and why somebody else is completely different. And I just went on this educational journey to satiate this craving that I had to figure out one, why I was so messed up and two, how I could heal that and use it to heal and help other people. And so I was originally going down the, I say fast track, but it's like a long, slow track to become a licensed psychologist in Canada. Cause that's where I'm from. But then my whole life got turned upside oh. down when I came to ministry school and I met my husband and we got married and then we decided to live here. And then everything, the trajectory of my whole life changed when we got pregnant four months into marriage, right after I finished, it was like a month before I finished my master's degree. And so, um, oh we kind of just had to, had to pivot and I kind of put my whole trajectory of my career and what I was going after on the shelf for a couple of years to stay home and be with my kids and learn how to be a mom, learn how to be married and learn how to cook all at the same time. And then about, <laughs> I think two years ago, I just started feeling God talk to me about teaching women how to come alive. And as soon as he said it, I knew the whole business plan of what I was going to do and the website, mm -hmm. I got the domain that same day. And I just have ever since I got certified as a life coach and have just been building my business and helping women just uncover the areas in their life where they feel stuck, where they feel trapped, where they feel hopeless, where they feel like they can't move forward in their life. And it is literally a dream of mine to dive into the painful spaces in their life to help them actually feel inspired and empowered to live a life that I, I say live a life that they love, but it sounds so cliche, but like the life that they're excited to wake up to that they enjoy being in every day. I mean, everybody has hard days, but just building a life that they love and they actually enjoy living in instead of trying to 
drink their way a little bit more into feeling better about themselves or binge watching TV at the end of the day to kind of escape from the crazy. And instead of doing all those things, actually having a life that they enjoy living. So that is in a nutshell, basically what I do. That's amazing. I think that's really such a needed conversation because you know, every now and then I feel like I get glimpses of, oh my gosh, this is my one life. I don't want to waste it. I want to make the most of it, but it's a whole other story to actually be intentional about putting in the work to make it happen. Like actually being intentional with each day and finally experience that coming alive that you talk about. And so it's so special what you're doing. And I think so many women get into that mode where it's just going through the motions where it's like, okay, you go to school, you get married, you have kids. Now you're a mom. Now it's just like, we're taking care of kids and this is life. And one day I'll get to that point where I am doing what I love and figuring out like what I want to do, what makes me feel alive and really just like enjoying life to the full. But Mm. I just, especially since coming a mom, becoming a mom, I've just not wanted that to be the case for me. I've just really wanted to do that now, especially, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this too, but that realization of like, wow, what am I even modeling for my kids? If I'm just going through the motions of what I Mm -hmm. feel like is just the typical day-to-day life. And I just, I just get lost in the mix and forget like, whoa, this is my one life. And I want to be as intentional as I can with it. And so like, what was that like for you getting to that realization of, okay, I want to learn these things about myself so that I can experience this and then transfer to other women and teach them about it too. Like what, what was that whole process like for you? And what did you discover along the way? It started with, um, in my undergrad degree, being in classes like abnormal psychology and psychopathology and diagnosing myself with everything in the DSM, (laughs) because I finally had language to my pain and my coping. And I almost, it felt comforting to know that I wasn't crazy like I thought I was. Turns out I didn't have any of those disorders, which um, (laughs) was a whole other story. But basically when I got pregnant four months into marriage, I instantly realized that I didn't enjoy myself. I didn't like myself. I was really, really codependent in my marriage. And I had a lot of insecurities and a lot of self-hatred. And I didn't want a lot of anxiety. And I didn't want all that stuff leaking on to this baby that I was carrying. And I remember I was telling somebody this last night, like I remember anytime I would feel anxious in those first couple months being pregnant, I was nervous that it was going to like leak out onto my baby that I was creating in Mm -hmm. my body. And so I got pregnant and I decided right away to start going to counseling. And I went every single week for, I think it was about 18 months. And it just helped me get out of my own head. I think the thing that I see a lot with my clients is that they stay in pain because they don't let anybody else into their pain and they don't let anybody else actually know Mm -hmm. what's going inside of them. So often I'm the first person that they tell their deepest, darkest thoughts, traumas, pains in their life, and nobody else in their life knows about them. And they come with all of these emotional, psychological ailments and they're wondering why they feel so depressed or why they struggle with so much with anxiety. And a lot of what it comes down to is that nobody is being actually open about what is going on inside of them. And it's, it just always blows my mind at how, when we keep all of this stuff locked up inside of us, like it festers and it comes out 
our, our body and our emotions and our, all of that is going to find a way to get our pain out. And so we can mm. cope, we can do all these things to make all of this emotional pain kind of keep it at bay, but eventually it comes out, whether it's in a panic attack, whether it's in stomach issues, whether it's in lashing out at the people around us because we have so much anger inside and we don't know what to do with it. And so I just started opening up about what was going on inside of me. And it started with a therapist. And then eventually I built up the courage to talk to my husband about the fact that I didn't like myself and I felt really insecure all the time. And then I started creating friendships and community around me that I would open up to and still do to this day when I feel insecure in a moment, when I don't feel like I'm enough, when I feel overwhelmed, when I feel like I just want to scream at my kids sometimes because I feel emotionally maxed. And it's like, I yeah. constantly have people who I'm bumping into all the time where I can't actually get to a place in my life anymore where I would be stuck and stay stuck because I have people now who see me and know me. And I think a lot of my clients struggle with so many things for so many years because they don't actually open up to anybody. And so they don't get any perspective or clarity or empathy or compassion or kindness from other people. And they don't know how to do that inside of themselves because they've never experienced the benefit of what that looks like coming from another person. So they don't know how to do it themselves. So wow. I think that's a long answer yeah. to just realizing that I can't do my life alone. And if I keep all of this pain housed inside of myself, then I'm never going to get free. And so if getting free means that I have to be open and honest and super vulnerable and share really uncomfortable things, then I'm going to do it because then it gets it out of me instead of staying trapped inside. Yes, totally. I have experienced that so many times, like regularly I experienced that because it's so easy to just live in your head, you know? And mm -hmm. I think what you said is so true. Like so many times it just builds and builds and builds and grows if we don't let anybody in. And then I found whether it's through a friend, a mentor or a therapist, like as soon as I open up and start processing, it's like, whoa, okay. Like I can breathe a sigh of relief. It actually wasn't as heavy and huge and big and scary as I thought it was. And just opening up a little bit can do so, so much, much good for us. And so I love that you touched on that. I think that's so true. And something else that you talk about that I think is so good is these cycles that we get in. Would you kind of break that down for us? Like, what does it look like? How do we end up in these cycles that really just do not serve us? Yeah, it's, it usually starts with our pain. And I do, I define pain as, anything that leaves us feeling emotionally and uh, any kind of emotional suffering or discomfort. And so that could be from a breakup that we feel emotional suffering from, or it could be just not wanting to go to the work the next day because we don't like our job and feeling the emotional discomfort of that. But our pain, we actually have to process our pain. It's such a human part of us. And if we keep that stuff locked inside of us, then it festers. And we, as humans, we don't like pain. Our, we're created to survive. And so anytime we experience pain, we do whatever it is that we can to get out of that pain. And if all we know mm. in the moment is when I eat a box of cookies, I feel better. Or when I scream really loud, I feel better about myself. Or when I drink this glass of wine at the end of a hard day and I have to cook dinner, I feel better. 
but really it doesn't take away our pain. It just numbs it for a little bit. And then we're back to, Mm -hmm. oh, we need that thing again in order to not feel that emotional pain anymore. And then all of a sudden we're finding ourselves stuck in a cycle of anytime I feel pain or anxiety or sadness, or I feel lonely, I go to this thing and it could be anything drinking, porn, watching TV, scrolling on Instagram, literally could be anything. Mine particular one was cleaning. And from the outside in, it looks like a really um, functional coping mechanism, but it doesn't, it's me still avoiding the things that I need to face in order to actually get out of that cycle. So anytime that I would feel overwhelmed or feel out of control, I would open up another drawer and start cleaning it. And from the, people would be mm-hmm. like, Oh, I wish I had that one instead of sitting on my couch and eating a bag of chips. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but people can tend to tell when you're having a hard day more than they can tell when I'm having a hard day. Cause I tend to Brene Brown talks about like overfunctioners and underfunctioners and the underfunctioners are the ones that like all of a sudden they're coming in late to work. They're checked on on the couch. Like they're not answering their phone anymore. And you know, like, Oh no, SOS so-and-so is not doing well, but overfunctioners mm. were like on top of the world. Our houses are really clean. Like everything's functioning really, really well, but inside we're dying. And so a cycle is anything that we're kind of stuck in that is actually serving us at one point. At one point we learned when I feel anxious or when I feel overwhelmed or when I feel lonely, this thing that I do or this substance that I use makes me feel better. And so Mm. we go to that thing anytime we feel that. And as humans, we're we're very patterned people. If it works one time, we're going to try it again and we're going to keep doing it because it takes the edge off. It takes the pain away. And so- We get stuck in cycles because we don't know how to process our emotional pain. And we don't know how to um, process our emotional pain is because nobody taught us how to do it. Mm. And I learned this so much with my four-year-old because he's just like a blank slate that I get to try out all the things that I never got as a kid (laughs) on. And from when he was younger... He, we've taught him how to say what it is that he's feeling. And I just learned how to do this like a few years ago. I think research shows that the average adult when asked how many emotion, how many emotions they can describe on a regular basis, the number, the average number is three, happy, sad, and mad. And if you think about the lack of like, how many times in our life do we experience things other than we experience shame or loneliness or unworthiness or insecurity or just a whole gamut of emotions. But if you don't actually know how to communicate what it is that you're feeling, then you can't actually process what it is that you feel to get to the other side. Mm. And so I, I've taught my, my four-year-old from a really young age how to identify what he's feeling. And it's like the breakthrough that I get watching him process his pain is insane because I realize what a key it is to learn how to move through a painful emotion and actually get to the other side and be able to move on again and not feel like that, that thing keeps you stuck in pain. And this morning, Mm -hmm. even so much like he wanted to play and I had to start work at nine and he was like, Oh, I just feel really blue. And I was like, oh, you feel blue? (laughs) And I was, he knows what blue means because I was talking about it the other day. I was like, man, I just feel really blue today. Like, I just don't really want to do anything. I just feel really low. Like, I know everything's going to be fine, but I just feel like 
blah and blue. And so this morning he was like, I feel blue because you won't play with me. And it, then we sit down and we talk about it. He kind of tells me how he feels and research shows that emotions are like tunnels. Like we have to be able to start at the beginning of the emotion and walk through the tunnel to get to the other side. But so often we're trying to like find any other way to the other side, except going through the tunnel. Or once we get in the tunnel, we don't actually know how to move through that emotion. And then we get stuck and trapped in the tunnel. And then we like try and run back the other way because it's too scary. Mm. And so we get stuck because we don't know how to process pain and we don't know how to process our pain because nobody taught us how to identify what we're feeling, what the difference between being sad and lonely is and how none of us are actually know what it feels like to be seen when we're lonely and to be empathized with and to have someone sit with us and be like, man, I, I don't I hate when I feel lonely. That probably makes you feel really powerless. And then we can move through that. We can co-regulate with somebody else to move through that emotion together so that we can get to the other side. And now that I'm talking, I forget what your question was because <laughs> I just went on a rant. <laughs> no, that was perfect. You were just explaining like, how do we get in these cycles? And it totally makes sense. And I love the example that you gave of your son, because I'm seeing that even with my two-year-old son, it's like, we get so frustrated when we don't know how to communicate what we feel and what we need. And gosh, can you imagine how confusing it is if we can't even communicate to try to then work through it? And I've never heard that analogy of looking at emotions as a tunnel, but it makes so much sense to think about it as something we actually do have to move all the way through. Otherwise, like you said, we just end up right back in the cycle trying to find things to help us cope. And it's never really addressing the issue or getting past it. Um, wow, that's just so crazy to think about. And it just makes me reflect on my own life. And it's like, whoa, I have seen that play out over and over and over again. And so what have you found is effective as far as like actually doing the process and the work of moving through emotions? Like how do we actually break out of the cycles? Yeah. And it's, I, I love relating it to kids because kids know how to do this naturally. And it's, we learn growing up and in adulthood that our emotions aren't okay. And that's why we start coping with other things and checking out of our emotions because nobody taught us how to do it when you're, with, when we were a kid. But when you think about sitting with your two-year-old or my four-year-old, when we just give them a moment to process that feeling and they're able to be heard in that. And they're able to let us know, like, it made me feel sad when you talk to me that way. And then I own my stuff and then we talk about it and then they move through the end. And it's just so mind blowing how it's just that simple, but it's so much more complicated yeah. in adulthood because we have all of these emotions that were never validated. We were told to stop crying. We were told it's not a big deal. Like, don't get so stressed out about that. Like, stop crying over that. And so we learn early on that our emotional expression and everybody, everybody's emotional expression is different, but we learn early on that our emotional expression isn't okay and that we need to shut it down or we need to just snap out of it or we need to just be okay. And then we wonder why in adulthood we're like, we don't actually address our pain and we don't, we just jump to the next thing and we keep moving forward. Mm. When, when you look at a kid who naturally knows how to do it, if you give them a couple of minutes to process through that emotion, they move through onto the other side and then they never usually bring it up again, unless they didn't fully wow. get to process. They didn't fully kind of get to say like, 
mommy, when you raised your voice, I may have felt sad. Then they might bring it up a little bit later. But once they're seen and validated in it, they never talk about it again. And so it just shows the profound effect that being just letting yourself be seen and actually moving through the emotion gets you to the other side to the point where you don't house it and store it anywhere in your body. Um, And I think practically, I mean, we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but just letting somebody in. And I think a lot of times we have a lot of not like a lot of judgment on who is worthy enough to be let in. And yes, we have to be wise, but we're not just going to tell everybody all of our stuff. But yeah, I think sometimes we wait for the perfect person in order to open up to, and we don't give people a lot of credit that, oh, we just actually, we don't need the perfect counselor to be able to help us process through something. We just need a pair of listening ears that don't make it about them, that don't judge us for whatever it is that we're feeling. And that can sit with us and be like, man, that sucks. Like, that's all we really need. We don't need somebody to fix it. I don't know if you've experienced your husband as soon as he tries and fixes it. You're like, don't try and fix me. Like, I don't need the solution. I don't need (laughs) the answer. I just need to be heard and I need to get this stuff out. Um, So I think one of the big keys is just being able to let somebody in. And number two, I think learning how to identify what it is that we're feeling. And I love Brene Brown because her research research on emotions is just incredible. But she talks about how Mm. if we had a a broken ankle and we went to the doctor and we tried to tell the doctor, the doctor comes in and is like, okay, what are you feeling? What happened? And all of a sudden we have tape over our mouth and our hands are tied behind our back and we can't actually tell the doctor how we got hurt, what the pain level is. We would feel, we would either one do everything in our power to scream and go into that fight mode and try and communicate what it is that we're feeling in our bodies. Or two, we would just shut down and stuff it and get back, get apathetic and believe, well, she can't help me anyways, because I don't know how to say what it is that I'm feeling. And that's what Mm. it is when we only have those three words to use when we feel emotional pain, either we're happy, sad, or mad, if we only have three words to describe what we're feeling, we're completely taking away the inability to get our needs met. Like we have so many needs when we have a certain feeling, but if we don't know how to communicate what it is that we're feeling, then we actually can't get our needs met. I always say that our emotions mm-hmm. are our invitations to get our deepest needs met. Because our needs are met when a need is expressed and a need is usually expressed in a feeling like I feel hurt or I feel scared or I feel lonely or I feel overwhelmed. I feel insecure. There's so many ways that our needs can be met now that we've identified first to ourselves what it is that we're feeling and then second to another person who can actually step in and help us meet that need. And so with my clients, Mm -hmm. I, I literally... Cause I would see this all the time. Like nobody would know what they were feeling. And so it was hard to move forward and how to get unstuck in a certain area when they didn't know that they felt lonely. And so I just created mm. this, like you can find them all over the internet, but just like a feelings list. And I have this for my four-year-old. It's like a little, we have one in the form of like emojis on the fridge. And so when he was two, he could just point to like the happy face or the sad face or the mad face. And then we could kind of uh, talk yeah. through the emotion. But because we're adults, we have a way big, I mean, I, maybe we don't, but we have a bigger understanding of so many more emotions. And so I created this really comprehensive feelings list and I've split it into categor- categories of like fear, 
sad, angry, happy, calm. I forget another one. And then underneath that category, there's like 10 or 15 different feelings words. And I always tell people we have to build an emotional language because if you only know three words in another country, there's only so much you're going to be able to do in that country. And if you only Mm. know three words to describe what the entirety of your being is feeling, you're not really going to get a lot of help and a lot of your needs met. And so building up our emotional language gives us the ability to first off, be able to connect and empathize with ourselves, but then have somebody invite somebody else in who can actually help us meet our needs and figure out what it is that we need to get done or what we need after that. And so one, letting people in, but two, building up your emotional language so that you actually know what it is that you're feeling. I would say that those two are like the foundational ones, I would think. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Again, just that makes so much sense. I love that example you gave of just only being able to get so far in a country where you don't speak that language. It's just, I feel like you said in the beginning, it's just, we've learned so many things growing up and along the way. And so now as adults, we're like, I don't even know how to express my needs. I don't even know what my needs are. And so for someone who has experienced those things growing up, being told just stop crying, don't worry about that. It's not that big of a deal or has kind of been shut down when they have expressed their emotions or needs, um, or haven't been responded to in an empathetic way. Like what would you suggest to that person to start building up that emotional language? I think first we have to, cause we all have belief systems about how we engage. Our belief systems are basically the lens upon which we see the world and our belief systems kind of give just give a, give us a framework of what we can expect in ourselves, what we can expect in other people and what we can expect in the world around us. And it keeps our brain from having to work extra hard because if we have the belief that we're loved, we don't have to work hard every single day trying to figure out, okay, wake up, put my makeup on, tell myself that I'm loved. Like we just, we, when we have that lens, we just look through the world like, oh, I'm a loved person. I made a mistake there. But a lot of us have belief systems that are rooted in our childhood where we were told, Hey, you can't, you're not actually loved. You're not accepted here. Mm. How you were made is not okay. Crying is not okay. Um, you're not the smart one. You're not the pretty one, all these different things. And sometimes they're said verbally, but other times they're just kind of subconsciously picked up on. And these belief systems create the foundation upon which we build our entire life. And so if we were told as a kid, you can't cry, your feelings aren't valid here. Our brain tells us, okay, crying isn't okay. We're going to put on that pair of glasses Mm. and we're going to, we're going to move through the world as though our emotions aren't valid and crying isn't okay. And so then what our brain does, instead of having to work overtime to tell ourselves that crying is okay, our brain will just take on any information from the world that tells us see crying's not okay. Ew, that person cried there. Mm. That's not okay. See that person actually let somebody in and they got rejected. It just, it just further validates the belief that I already have that my emotions aren't valid or we get married. And then all of a sudden our husband doesn't ask us how we feel at the end of the day. And I'm like, see my, my feelings aren't valid. Like I'm, I'm not going to get met in my need when it comes to my feelings. And we're in adulthood Mm. and we believe all these things about ourselves, about other people and about the world, but we don't actually ask ourselves, where did this belief come from? Because then we can tell ourselves all we want. Like, no, you're, 
people can tell us like, my husband can tell me like, no, you can, you're safe here. Your feelings are welcome here. But if I have the belief system that they're not, I have to figure out where I first picked up that belief system so that I can, you know, let go of it and, and understand, oh, it makes sense why my feelings weren't, why I believe continually that my feelings aren't valid. Because I remember when I was younger, anytime I would cry, this isn't me, but anytime I would cry, my dad would be like, stop crying. You're being a baby. And so then I learned from a really young Mm. age that crying isn't okay. That's why I still believe it today. And so we kind of have to break up with those belief systems because at one point, this is the thing about belief systems. At one point, having that belief actually served us and protected us. If we were told constantly that crying wasn't okay, continuing to cry in a place where crying wasn't okay would have actually hurt us even more. And so we had Mm. to take on that belief system that wasn't okay in order to protect ourselves from the rejection or the punishment if we did cry. And so at one point that belief was actually true and it actually served to protect us. And so when we look back, we can be like, okay, in childhood, believing that actually protected me from getting hurt from the people around me who didn't think that crying was okay. But it's been 25 years now And now I'm in a safe relationship. I have lots of friends who love me and who are supportive of me. And me holding on to that belief that my emotions aren't okay isn't actually serving me and protecting me anymore. It's actually cutting me Mm. off from the very thing that I need most because I'm safe now. And so once we start building up an emotional language is important, but I think first, now that I think about it, is going after the beliefs that we have about whether in this case, it's our emotions, but about our emotions, about our body image, about how we show up in the world, about one of my big belief systems was that I wasn't smart enough. I have a bunch of memories as a kid of being told that I wasn't very smart. And then there's just, since I had that belief, just evidence would confirm it over the years. I wouldn't get good grades. See, Mm. it proves that I'm not smart. See, I didn't get into the college that I wanted. See, it proves that I'm not smart. And so then I never applied myself and I never tried because I already had the belief that I wasn't smart. So why overextend myself anyways? And I had to go back to childhood and realize, oh, I had all these moments where the belief and the narrative and stories were told to me that I wasn't smart. And in order to protect myself, I created that lens. I created that belief system. I actually had to go back and break up with it. And now I'm like, mm. I have my math. I think I'm brilliant. Like I have a master's degree. <laughs> I do really well for myself, but that wouldn't have happened if I just tried to think myself into a better way of life or think, tell myself like, no, you're smart. I had to go back and realize, oh, this belief system was created long ago and it protected mm. me back then but it doesn't serve me anymore so i actually need to let that go so that it can make room for a belief system that actually serves my life and is actually true to my life today wow that is incredible i was actually reading something recently about this whole you know like how the brain works and neuroplasticity and the ways that we can actually retrain our thought patterns but it was so interesting and i'd yes. never heard it before kind of what you touched on how you know this idea of positive affirmations is amazing and helpful But if it goes against what we've believed the whole time, we almost rebel against it and reject it. And it does more harm than good because it's so opposite of what, you know, you were talking about that confirmation bias of, okay, I believe this about myself. So my brain, my mind is actually going to be looking for things to affirm what I've chosen to believe Mm -hmm. is true. But I love that you even said from your own experience, I've experienced as well, like it is possible to go back there and to heal and God can totally redeem it 
transform our minds and we can move forward from that. And that's why I love so much about how you talk about the coming alive piece, because it really mm. just, they go hand in hand. So would you touch on that piece as well? Like once we're, we've learned this emotional language and we start working through our emotions, we've got some safe people to start opening up to like, what is the coming alive part look like? Yeah. I, I think you said this at the beginning, but having that realization, once you have kids that you only get one life and do you want to just keep going? I think you said going through the motions and just doing the things in front of her of you or do you actually want to model to your son a mom that is actually alive and enjoys life i i remember this i had a friend and she said she said one time to me like it never felt like my mom really enjoyed us because she didn't really enjoy her own life mm. and i felt so devastated at the thought of living my entire life not ever enjoying it and the whole come alive mm. coming alive in your life comes from the John 10, 10, I have come so that you may have life and you can have it abundantly. And I just love, wow, I love that. that Jesus kind of says we can have life, but he goes back and he says, and have it abundantly, like not just life, not just the life that you have, your needs are provided for, because all of that is truth too. Like all of your needs will be provided for. You'll never be alone. You'll never have to like, don't be worried about tomorrow because you will have everything that you need today. And that's life, but life abundantly, mm -hmm. like the picture of life abundantly is like a cup that's already full and it can't even take anymore. And so it just starts flowing out the sides. <laughs> and that's what I picture when I think of coming alive in your life. That's what I think of when I think that Jesus came, not just so that I could survive and be able to pay my mortgage and have three kids and a husband and a house, but that I would have all of that. And I could be fully obsessed with everything in my life that I can, all my dreams could happen. Everything in my heart that I've dreamed up of when I was a kid can actually be possible that I can not just have a marriage that's healthy, but have a marriage that's on fire and that I, that I love so mm. much and that I feel so connected and deeply known in, and not just have kids that are well-behaved and say their please and thank yous, but kids that go on in their life and they have deep connections with me and with each other and with other people. And they go after the things in their life that they want. And so that coming alive is once we get to a place where like there's, I always say we heal our past we learn how to show up to our present. And then from there, we can actually build a life that we love. Because I think a lot of time mm -hmm. the coaching space is like, okay, what are the three goals that you want to go after? And how are we going to do it? And I'm like, yes, let's go after those goals. But until you can actually figure out what is actually keeping you from going after those goals. Oh, it's the fact that you have a really painful past. And in order that, in order to deal with your painful past in your present, you're kind of checking out a little bit. You can try and behaviorally modify your, modify your way into going after those goals all you want, but your pain is going to keep coming up, which is actually going to keep you from being able to live the life that you want to live and be able to sustain mm. it. I'm, I'm so big on sustainability because I'm like, we can hustle and go after all the things that we want, but is it actually going to last 10, 20, 30, 40 years? So a big part of coming alive is actually going after those pain places and learning how to show up in your present, knowing how to go after comparison in your life, knowing how to take care of your body and get your needs met and build healthy relationships. And then from that place, 
then you can go after your dreams because you're not going to be getting tripped up over crap. I got triggered there. I got triggered again. Oh, now I'm going after this dream in my life. And all of a sudden I'm dealing with this imposter syndrome and not that we don't anyways, but it's like, then you can actually start running instead of having to every single corner have to deal with some trigger or some past pain. And so Mm. the coming alive part comes not after you've healed and figured it out in that space, but it, it, there is a certain amount of internal healing. I think that has to happen before you can actually feel the momentum to start going after your goals and your dreams. Mm. But that being said, I still believe you can come alive in every season. And I think a lot of that has to do with just being present with yourself, being present with the people in front of you, instead of trying to chase after something that you don't have or be in a place that you're not. I think you can come alive in every single season. And I I believe a lot of that is learning how to actually process through your pain, learning how to face your triggers, learning how to build healthy relationships and a healthy relationship with your body. And so I think it's all encompassing. But when I think about coming alive, it's that having life and having it abundantly. It's He didn't give conditions on having life abundantly only when your dreams come true. It's like having it abundantly Mm -hmm. all the time, even when you're in a hard season, even when you're processing through something painful, Mm -hmm. that life abundantly is available to you at all times. Wow. That is so beautiful. I just, the way that you put that, it's just really a cool perspective because I feel like that's just such a missing piece for a lot of women. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, I feel like I should do this or I need to do this. And like, oh, I'll enjoy my life once I get to this point or when I accomplish this. But it's like, like you said, it's being able to come alive in every season, even the hard parts. I was actually going to therapy recently and I had never thought about healing this way, but um, my therapist was talking about how we can see a lot of parallels for healing in nature. And when we look at nature, Mm -hmm. you know, there's cycles and it knows what to do with natural traumas, like floods, fires, whatever, but it heals and starts to grow again at the same time. And I had never thought about it that way. And it was so Mm -hmm. hopeful to hear that because I spent so much of my life feeling like I can't be my best version of myself. I can't really show up and do have a meaningful life until I've worked through all my stuff. And it's really coming alive. Isn't like I need to fix all my problems. It's like, how can I learn to know myself? But I love that you put it that way. It's just like learning yourself, learning what you need to process pain. Because I feel like just the way as we learned um, to not process pain and kind of stuff down or avoid, it's the same when we learn to actually process and work through the emotions and it will get easier over time, even though life is still going to be hard sometimes. And so I just think that it's so hopeful to look at it this way because I catch myself sometimes feeling like, oh my gosh, I've got all these issues. I've got all these problems. I'll never get past this. I'm always going to be stuck here. And it really isn't that way. And so there's just so much hope to think of it through the perspective and the lens of abundant life coming alive, no matter what season you're in. So that's that's so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, as we're closing out, is there anything that you would want to say specifically to a woman who is feeling really stuck where she's at right now? Yeah, I I love that picture of nature healing, but also growing at the same time. I, I'm for sure going to use that because I think a lot of times <laughs> in the emotional health world and when we're on this journey of getting healed, it's like 
my, my husband described it to me when I was in a hard space and kind of going after some of these places in my life. And he was like, it's like every single time you see something come up that you don't like about yourself, you drag your childhood self into a therapist's office and you make her sit there until she figures it out <laughs> rather than sitting with her and actually being present with her rather than just dragging her off somewhere because she needs to fix it. And so I love that picture in mm. nature of, yes, like our, we innately know how to heal. And I think it's almost like we're coming back to how were we, how we were created in the first place. Cause kids know yeah. how to heal. Like when they get an owie, they know that they know that if they talk about it enough times to every single person that will listen to them to the guy in the grocery store. Like, did you see my owie? Like, this is how I got the owie. This is what happened. And once they've told the story enough, like they don't need to tell that story again. Like they just organically know <laughs> how to heal and what they need to do to heal. But it's us that we've come up with a different way to look better and more ex externally figured out than we actually are. And so it's almost like we're just coming back to nature and how we're, how we were created in the first place. And so I would say to the woman that feels stuck, I think a lot of times when we do feel stuck, we feel alone and we feel like we're the only person going through it. And I had this client the other day and she opened up to me about, about a bunch of stuff for the first time. Like she's never told anybody about this. And I just kind of was validating her and just processing some stuff with her. And at the end, she said, it feels like I've been living in a hot car my entire life. And you just cracked the window for the first time. And I wow, think it's such I a picture chills. of how I know. And we just stayed. And I know that <laughs> feeling of feeling like I'm just trapped in a car and I'm just stuck. And this is the way it is. And I just got to kind of keep doing what's in front of me. And hopefully God will come through or I'll get a breakthrough. But sometimes we just need somebody to come over and crack the window and let us know that we're not alone and give us that breath of fresh mm. air that can keep us going. That makes us feel like we're not crazy. I think a lot of times I hear this a lot, like for the first time, I feel like I'm not crazy. And it's because when we can hear from somebody else, like, Hey, I've been through this before, or I can, I can empathize with that. I went through something similar. I know what that feels like. It removes all of the, the that accusing voice of the enemy that makes us feel like we are the only ones suffering from this. We're the only ones struggling in this space. Nobody will understand. Nobody will get it. Nobody will be able to help me. And so I think first I would like to tell the person that feels stuck, like you're not alone. You're not crazy. There's nothing wrong with you, but find people who you trust that you can open up to. And if the only person you have is a coach or a therapist, then start there. I think we have to build friendships that we trust and we can grow in vulnerability with. And so if the only person you have is just one friend or one therapist or one coach, whatever, open up to somebody just so that you can have that window cracked. So you're not in that hot car by yourself. Mm. That's so good. Thank you, man. This conversation has been so refreshing and so I feel like just a needed perspective shift and like almost a sigh of relief, just having permission to feel the things that we've been told are not okay to feel. So thank you so much for what you do. Thanks. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing to help women just really work through this stuff so we can come alive. It's so amazing. So um, where can everyone find you? Will you tell us about what you have to offer, like what's coming up, your podcast, all the things? 
Yeah, me, me and my husband have a semi-regular podcast that's supposed to be regular, but it's not. Um, we're trying to, but between being pregnant and having two kids and businesses, we're just not as regular as we want to be. But we usually get an episode out every week or two. Um, our podcast is called Undoing the Complex. And it's basically, we just talk about a lot of hard and painful things and we unpack it and we process through it and we help you feel like you're not alone. And we put language to process. We put language to hard things and it's a lot of fun. My husband brings a completely other dynamic into it. And so it's really fun doing it with him as well. And then we're in the process right now of actually creating a, an e-course on cycles and I don't have a date for it or anything. I am having a baby in November and our goal is to finish an e-course and me get a book out. And so hopefully those things happen between now and November 16th, but um, you can find hmm. any and everything on Instagram and my what is it called? Handle? I feel so old sometimes. Is at Chantelle <laughs> e. Nelson right? and <laughs> that's where I post all the things, all the updates, all the crazy life of being a mom of two kids and running a business and building a marriage. And so that's where you can find me. And that's what we have going on. I love it. Well, thank you so much. I just really appreciate your time. I appreciate your story and all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tune into another episode of the ByWord Show. I love having you here and I'm so thankful for your support. Don't forget to share a screenshot of this episode to let me know you were here. I can't wait to talk again soon, but in the meantime, be sure to come hang out with me on Instagram and remember, I am cheering you on.